Hello and welcome to another quarantine stream. I am, of course, wait, make sure the audio. Yep. Oh, I am, of course, Joe Magician, and today I've got another very exciting topic to you relating to magic, the Targaryens, the old gods, and perhaps a hedge knight's foot. I am, of course, repping the Targaryens today. Uh, that's right. Today we'll be talking all about the tragedy at Summerhall and the gorging of grief that happened there in 259 AC when King Aegon the Unlikely's attempt to hatch dragons kind of ended badly, um, you know, with the near destruction of the Targaryen dynasty. Um, so, should be a good one. I had a lot of fun writing up the doc. It's such an interesting topic. There's so many different areas that it touches on, especially even in the current times as it relates to Danny, as it relates to the Targaryens going forwards and their dragons. It's it's a it's a pretty good time. So let's see who's in the chat. Oh, I see uh, Carl Karstark, Aaron M, OTDA, Andrew K, Rod Dammit. Seems like we got the uh, the whole crew here today. If you could um, like, share, do all the things that people know this is going on. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a deep topic. I think we're gonna go about for like an hour and a half, two hours. See how the questions go. This will not be like my um my stream the other night where I was playing Crusader Kings 2 for five hours. Although it could, but I don't think my voice will act this long. Um, so if any of you don't know, the tragedy at Summerhall is that most of the Targaryen dynasty at the time, Aegon V and his children, died in one day at Summerhall. And to start off with, we can just sort of go back to seeing what the te text itself says. There's not that many eyewitnesses to it. It said that those that did did not um, not like talking about it. Apparently, it was such a brutal and horrific thing to remember. The only thing we get is from Maester Corso, who wrote a letter um, that says this. <clears throat> the blood of the dragons gathered in one, seven eggs to honor the seven gods, though the king's own septon had warned. Pyromancers wildfire flames grew out of control towering burned so hot that died but for the valor of the lord command okay so <laughs> very frustrating by george obviously he's hiding things uh behind this he doesn't want us to know exactly what's going to happen in summer hall um especially because these these characters are the the feature characters of duncan egg the knight of the seven kingdoms um, short stories. George has planned out that we will see at least most of Duncan Egg's life from what we know. Um, perhaps the last one will be the tragedy at Summerhall, but he has also hinted that they're going to go to Winterfell, um, quite a few other places before Egg becomes king. So he has decided not to give us the exact answers, saving it for later. Um, uh, Viserys says, I hope we get Summerhall info in Fire and Blood Part 2. We might. I'm guessing, though, that it's such a high... Um, such a high tension and so brutal for what it does to his characters that I don't think George would, um, would put it in the third-person narrative of Fire and Blood. He would rather have you see it through probably Dunk's eyes, since that's what we get Dunk and Egg through. Um... <laughs> And actually, he this is something he wrote 
about Summerhall in the, in the narrative. It says, It is unfortunate that the tragedy that transpired at Summerhall left very few witnesses alive, and those who survived would not speak of it. A tantalizing page of Gildane's history, surely one of the very last written before his own death, hints as much, but the ink was spilled over it, and some mishap blotted out too much. George, you could just write it, my dude. You could just put it in there. Um, clearly has a lot planned for this. And when you think about what's going into it and what it means for the Targaryen dynasty and what their eventual role is, it kind of makes sense. It's, it seems to be tied up very deeply in, um, <laughs> in Targaryen history, in their love of dragons, their love of prophecy. Even the old gods end up showing up in Summerhall, which is... It's a little surprising. It's it's a it's a bit like a Heron Hall in a way that we see from the Strongs and the uh, Targaryens with Alice Rivers. There's a lot of parallels there to, um, just the feeling of destiny about it. <clears throat> so if you, again, if you're unfamiliar, this is King Egg on the Unlikely, better known as Egg from Duncan Egg novellas, the goofy little kid with the shaved head that follows around Dunk. That Dunk threatens to clot upside his head or clout upside his head the entire time he has become king and he has gathered up seven eggs at the castle of summer hall with his uh family most of his family uh jaharis the second is notably well he does survive i believe um to try and hatch these seven eggs we hear there's talk of pyromancers there's wildfire there's septons and the seven gods lord commander Again, the Lord Commander is Duncan the Tall, who has become Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. The main question, though, is, like, what, what actually happened? Why did it happen? And was there nefarious, nefarious forces behind it? Oh, uh, super chat here from Stephen Stark, uh, one of my patrons. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you all for the great streams during isolation. You are a king among wizards. Well... Wizard Kings are pretty popular these days in, uh, in Game of Thrones, looking at Bran, so I'll take that as a compliment. Um, yeah, uh, people are pointing out in the chat that Summerhall maybe got the other's attention. It's very clear for me, reading back and looking at uh, everything we're being told about it, that this is a high prophecy, high magical area. Um, I don't think many people really think about Summerhall itself. Like, what is it? Where is it? Why is it important? Why does it even exist? So, Summerhall was essentially the... It's kind of on the nose. It's more or less the country castle for the Targaryens. It serves as the... Um, for a lot of uh, uh, kings, they would have their court residences and they would have their country residences. Summerhall was more or less the country residence for the Targaryens. It was a, a big, beautiful castle. You can think of it in terms of like, um, what's a good one? Um, like Versailles, that sort of thing. Not quite as big, but the same kind of vibe to it. That's right. Versailles vibes for Summerhall. Um, it was built by King Daron the Good II for his wife, Mariah Martell. Daron II was the one that had actually ended the blood feud between the Targaryens and the 
Dornish by marrying, well, there was a double marriage. The first one was he married Mariah Martel himself, and he also married Daenerys Targaryen to Prince Marin Martel of Dorne. And in that way, they sealed both lines together. They finally brought them into the fold. But that, that didn't really go far enough. The Martells have enormous distrust of the Targaryens for good reason. Um, I made a thread the other day on Twitter talking about Aegon and his sister's treatment of Dorne with their constant burning of the, of the Dornish uh, castles and towns, essentially turning it into like a, t an, like a years-long guerrilla war against them. Um, and it didn't stop with them. The Targaryens continued attacking, notably uh, King Daron, the young dragon. He led his men down into Dorne, ended up conquering it, not lasting. Daron got a, got a red wedding at a um, meeting with the Dornish leadership after they kept killing all of his local governors. So clearly it wasn't enough just for Daron to take a Dornish bride that's a hostage. So instead what they did was they swapped um, Mariah and Daenerys. And then they went more than that. Daron built Summerhall and um, Marin Martell. Actually, I saw this in the chat. Guilty Undertaker parallels between Summerhall and the Water Guns. Absolutely, they are. Um, they are. You can think of them as twins. Um, the story goes that Daenerys missed the the beauty and the non-desertness of the Seven Kingdoms. So Marin built her the water gardens, the incredible, um, <clears throat> incredible water features, and the place where all of the Dornish um, lords' children would join to become friends, play in a safe place, that sort of thing, a, a sort of a bringing together. And Summerhall served the same thing, but not just for the Dornish, because where it was built is very, very tactical. Uh, we have a quote here. <clears throat> It says, in the following year, Daron raised a great seat in the Dornish marches, near to where the boundaries of the Reach the Storm lands and Dorne met, calling it Summerhall to make the peace he had created. It was more palace than castle and lightly fortified at best. In the years to come, many sons of House Targaryen would hold the seat as Prince of Summerhall. So the, the line that it's, not, it's lightly fortified, it's not a castle, it's more a palace, is intentional. It's a... Summerhall essentially serves as the physical peace treaty between the Targaryen crown and the Dornish. And not but not only the Dornish, it's also their historical enemies, the Reacher Lords and the uh, Stormlanders. The three kingdoms essentially had been raiding and destroying each other for generations. <clears throat> so by positioning Summerhall there as a as a parallel to the Water Gardens, the idea was essentially that the lords of those three kingdoms would be able to meet or and also it's a convenient place for um queen mariah uh, queen mariah to meet her family and not have to come to king's landing where the dornish are scorned by uh the general population we see that uh quite a lot in the main game of thrones and a song of ice and fire stories people don't like the dornish um there's quite a lot of racism in it Quite a lot of um, culture clashing. They are unkind about it, to say the least. <clears throat> and um, so between the Water Gardens and Summerhall, 
this is it's a physical peace treaty basically and it's also um somewhere just sort of nice for the targaryens to go uh the red keep is not a nice place there's king's landing it's pretty crappy to live in um dragonstone as stan has famously bones is a dreary rock that nobody likes living on they only did it in the past because that's where the dragons were um it was a seat of power not a seat of pleasure and uh summerhall fulfills that need as their country home their place to go to relax to get away from court and just be regular people <clears throat> so that's that's why it was built but it seems to uh, develop a reputation even directly after it's built i mean daron intended it as sort of almost like a place of peace where the different lords could come together talk their children could meet each other play and build relationships but it seems to have instead been um picked up by what you would call the the brooding um the self-isolating the bookish targaryens which should make sense because it's where the those who didn't want to be at court those who didn't want to be surrounded by lackeys and lords would go it was the natural going away place it also doesn't really seem that um summer hall was the kind of place where the the prince of summer hall would live all the time <clears throat> it's the sort of thing where he would go to court then you would go to summer hall back and forth that sort of thing as you felt like it you see it that like that with the uh jet set i guess in modern times people like the rich going to um going to the like the caribbean islands or going to monaco that kind of thing <clears throat> oh i see in the chat uh we have broken a hundred people watching thank you guys um you know like share all the things again see how many people we can get in here um I've been kind of ignoring the chat for a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Stephen Stark says Summer Hall is a politically important uh, location. It definitely is. Definitely, definitely, definitely. As long as the it's sort of a promise to the Dornish. <clears throat> um, Guilty Undertaker. Actually, you made the point I was just about to go to. Seems like that kind of place Makar, aka Proto Stannis, would hate. It's actually kind of the opposite, because Makar, um, Prince Makar, was the Prince of Summerhall during um, the Duncan Egg era. And he took it almost as a place to go be alone, a place to brood. Um, because there's a lot of parallels between actually Stannis and Makar. In particular, they both wanted to be. Um, they both wanted to be hand to the king to their brothers and were denied. Um, in Robert Baratheon's case, he chose to have John Aaron as his hand of the king instead of Stannis, which Stannis took personally. Prince Makar wanted to be hand of the king to his brother, um, uh, King Aerys uh, I. Instead, Aerys kept Bloodraven on, creating a, a lifelong uh, grudge between the two powerful men. And in his rage and his um and his his hurt feelings, Makar 
took to Summerhall and stayed there for years at a time. Um, many times throughout the books it is said that he is isolating he is brooding he's sulking it's it's almost a, co a constant running line especially once you get to the uh, mystery night um, from the Dunkin' Egg novella notably Bloodraven um, talking as Maynard Plum seems to be focusing on Makar quite a lot and you can kind of see why Makar um, taking the summer hall is just him being upset but if you're Blood Raven, you have to wonder how upset is Makar knowing that Ares does not have any um, any heirs. Is he upset enough to make alliances? Is he upset enough to use his martial prowess to try and take over the throne from Ares? Or maybe even court the Blackfires because Makar has quite a lot of children at that point. Most of them are unmarried. Um... He has uh, Daron, Arion, Aemon's already in the Citadel, um, but then there's also uh, Young Egg and his sisters. So it's it's very much, especially because of the traditional um, the traditional allies of the Blackfires were usually coming from the Reach and the Stormlands. So Makar positioning himself as the Prince of Dragonstone and staying there for years at a time. As Spymaster, Bloodraven would be suspicious of, is he just upset or is he, try is he planning to overthrow the throne? He very well could. Um, <clears throat> it's, um, it's, it's an interesting situation. It's good to go back and read that, especially the Mystery Knight, seeing Maynard Plum, because he's so confused by Duncan Egg. He knows that there are traitors coming to uh, to White Walls for the for the tournament, notably um, the Damon Blackfire. He's wondering if there are other traitors on their way there. Is this the start of the fall of Ares' kingship through Makar and his youngest son, Egg? <clears throat> Interesting uh, backstory there on Summerhall. It's a fascinating place, but it's also very much tied up in, in particular, uh, Prince Daron the Drunkard. And this goes back to Egg. Um, so why did Egg do this? Why did he try and hatch his dragon eggs? Well, there's a really interesting quote that comes from Egg when he was young. Uh, he is talking to Duncan about the eggs themselves, and he says, I'm not stupid, sir. Egg lowered his voice. Someday the dragons will return. My brother Daron's dreamed of it, and King Ares read it in prophecy. Maybe it will be my egg that hatches. That would be splendid. And then Dunk, talking for the reader, says, Would it? Dunk had his doubts. <clears throat> and that's sort of the relationship you get with quite a lot of the young Targaryens. Um, you actually see it with Tyrion quite a lot too, where they think of the, the dragons as almost a child's fancy. You know, the boy and his dragon flying around the world as a hero, sort of the kind of thing you hear about with um, Queen Rhaenys, Aegon's wife, and her dragon, where she's like to get on her dragon and fly and have a good time. Yeah, that is one side of, <laughs> of owning dragons. The other side of it is unfortunately the um, mass death and burning That's uh, that's not 
great. <clears throat> so, Egg from a very young age, influenced by Daron, uh, probably encouraged by Aemon and Ares as well, is thinking about how later in his life he wants dragons. And that's, I think that's sort of where most of this comes from. It's a childhood thing for Egg, where it's, he wants to be more. He wants to be this fantasy kind of hero sort of person. He wants to be the one on his dragon, righting wrongs, going out there, smashing the Blackfires, and being everything a good Targaryen prince or king would be. And that's sort of get back to the practical purpose of why was Egg trying to hatch these eggs at Summerhall. The big problem still looming is over in Essos. We have the unfortunate Ninepenny Kings and the Blackfire Rebellions. <clears throat> it is consistent theme throughout Egg's life. It hangs over the Duncan Egg novellas that the Blackfires have destroyed and um, radicalized quite a lot of the Targaryens, notably Bloodraven, into these hyper-defensive, always paranoid, always looking over their shoulder, um, rulers of the Seven Kingdoms. They are non-stop waiting for the next Blackfire Rebellion. It has completely shaped their lives. There's no way around it. An egg sees that and realizes, as many have before him, that the way to, as a Targaryen, to make sure that nobody can beat you back is, of course, the dragons. You bring back the dragons, you essentially are bringing a gun to a knife fight at that point. They will have no more problems with the Blackfires. They, they, they are just done. <clears throat> Um, Viserys says in the chat, Egg had the dreams though, didn't he? Just like Daron the Drunk. Uh, that's something Amon tells us later, that all of his brothers uh, dreamed of dragons. Um, it's from the quotes from Duncan Egg, it's unclear if Egg literally had dragon dreams or if he had, this is a hard thing to parse, did he have the prophetic dreams or did he have dreams of having dragons? Like, that kind of thing. Was it more Tyrion or is it more Daron? It's unclear, um, but I would suspect that he was getting, at some point, started feeling the same way that Aemon did with his dreams of feeling their wings beating against his, his back and all those other things, feeling their hot breath. <clears throat> Egg was also born and given a dragon and dragon egg in his crib that's where the seven eggs came from at this time the eggs were not um actually that rare there were enough that every targaryen <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, lady leaf underhill not a fighter jet to a knife fight yeah okay yeah bringing bringing a nuclear weapon to a sword fight they would end the wars because there's just no way around it um there were enough dragon eggs at this time that had not turned to stone that every Targaryen prince and princess that could be given eggs were being, being given eggs. Um, it seems that quite a lot of them were destroyed in the tragedy of Summerhall, and there's some left on Dragonstone, but most of them are turned to stone. These seem to be the non-turned-to-stone ones, although we learned from Daenerys that that's apparently not an issue, that these petrified eggs can't come back. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, TRM says these streams have all been fantastic. Thanks for doing them all your hard work. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Glad you guys are here. Um, <clears throat> Edward Barton says, um, think sending Blood Raven to the wall was a mistake. Um, it's tough to say because in the short term, Blood Raven was the most effective weapon that the Targaryens had against the Blackfires and stopping invasions from Essos, even if he was not especially cool about it, to say the least. He was pretty, um, pretty ruthless. But yeah, it, it's. I was just about to get to that. This is actually quite a thing, quite a large part of Egg's kingship, and is that he. The Great Council happens, and Egg is put up alongside his brother Aemon and um, Arian's kids, and also the Blackfires show up. And Blood Raven, notably, uh, promises the Blackfires they will have safe passage to the Great Council. They can put in their, um, <laughs> they can put in their claim. That doesn't super happen. Uh, Blood Raven instead takes. Um, I forget which Damon Blackfire it is. Takes uh, takes whatever Blackfire shows up and executes him. For his crime, after Egg is elected, he banishes Bloodraven to the wall with Aemon. Aemon, though, we know he asked to go to the wall. That was not a banishing. Um, he f he had, I have made videos about this, about what exactly was Aemon's decision points, what was he trying to do, uh, when we first introduced to him, we got the story from Lord Commander Mormont that he was just trying to safeguard Egg, that clearly people wanted to be him to be king as long as he was around. There's a possibility they could use him to start a war. Yes, possible, but we also know that um, he is deeply, deeply involved with magic and prophecy and the prince that was promised, bringing back the dragon eggs. Like These are the things that give him life. So if you think the end is gonna the end of the world is coming and you need a savior and the end of the world is the others, then going to the wall makes sense. And it could be something similar with Blood Raven. But this is beyond all that, this is a huge problem for Egg because Aemon is a genius and he is extremely adept at um, manipulating political situations, giving great advice, having these kind of magical prophetical perspectives on things and he's gone he's now at the wall so egg has lost one counselor um and he's also lost his second best counselor in blood raven his best military his best spy master and also another character that represents him magic so egg has kind of shot himself in the foot twice he probably should not have allowed aemon to go um, even though Eamon requested it, I understand why he didn't, but doesn't exactly help. I also understand why you send Bloodraven, not also a super great idea. It sort of sets him behind the eight ball because Egg is not just a king that's going to um, enjoy being the king. He wants, he's not going to Aegon the Fourth it up. He's not going to Robert Baratheon it up. He wants to be like an Alisane character. He wants to be somebody, he wants to be a reformer. He wants to change the realm. And doing that without those two is very, very hard. <clears throat> oh, uh, 
Super Chat here from Sporking News Podcast. You have the best content motivating me to focus on uh, WoW. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you much for the $2. Um, yeah, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so so that, that's the other part of Egg's um, kingship. He Because he was raised with Duncan the Tall and because he, you know, grew up unlike the other Targaryens, there's notably the, the line between Duncan the Tall and his father, Prince Makar, where he says, maybe Arian, there's a comparison made between Arian where he's like, maybe if Arian ate less bloody steaks, he would not be the monster he is. That there is quite a lot of, Egg has a lot of sympathy and understanding for the rest of Westeros that very few Targaryen monarchs have ever exhibited. Uh, much more along the lines of somebody like Daenerys, um, Daenerys in the current times. Uh, Alysanne had a similar um, sympathy, Rhaenys as well. <clears throat> but there's kind of a downside to all these things. Um, The, the, you know, Ed did not inha inherit a particularly happy, stable, awesome Westeros. Not only are, is Maelis the monstrous with the band of nine, uh, the nine many kings waiting in Essos to invade him at any moment, especially after Bloodraven killed a Blackfire claimant, which they probably were not super psyched about. Um, <clears throat> These reforms are creating enemies as he as he starts trying to do them. But Egg recognizes all these things and he goes about trying to fix his problems intelligently the Alisane way. First thing he does is he arranges um, marriages between his children with uh, Betha Blackwood and particular great lords of Westeros. So he sends out um, his eldest son, uh, Duncan to marry the daughter of the uh, Lord Lionel, the Laughing Storm of the Stormlands. If the Nine Penny Kings are going to land in Westeros, much like we see with um, Fagon, as he is known in the current timeline, the Stormlands is where you will land. It's the easiest place to do it. So making sure you have the um, the the support of the Stormlands and the support of the Baratheons is hugely important. So that's number one. That's his first one. Second marriages are to, uh, the next marriages are to uh, Prince Jaehaerys. The second, uh, his second son was betrothed to Lady Celia Tully to secure the Riverlands. Um, his daughter, oh no, then his, um, his youngest son, Prince Daron, was betrothed to Lady Olena. Second, yeah, youngest son, Prince Daron, was betrothed to Lady Olena Redwine of the Arbor. Hey, it's her. It's Lady Olena. This is how close we are to the current timeline. Lady Olena, when she was young, um, the idea being that he needs to secure the Reach as well. Um, so you have the Stormlands, you have the Riverlands, you have the Arbor, and therefore the Reach kind of tied up. In particular, you get the Redwine Fleet. So he's preparing himself for an invasion of Westeros coming in the southern half. Um, he's looking... And like I said, the traditional um, Blackfire supporters come from those three kingdoms. The Vale and the the North and Dorne and the Iron Islands have largely been left out of those um, of those wars. 
usually they end up supporting the Targaryens if they get involved at all. They don't always. Unfortunately, that all blows up in his face because we get Jenny of Oldstones. This is where she comes into the story. Prince Duncan the Small decides he does not want to marry some daughter of Lord Lionel the Laughing Storm that he does not know, especially because <clears throat> this ends up being something that gets thrown in Egg's face quite a lot. He did not marry for um, political reasons. He married Betha Blackwood supposedly for love. Uh, we have not met her in the story, supposedly. I'm betting we'll meet her at some point uh, during the later Dunkin' Egg novellas. Um, perhaps through Bloodraven making that interaction, making that, um, that introduction. Really interesting how that ended up happening. I'd love to read it. But he married for love. He did not marry a political alliance. And his kids say to him, well, what the hell, Dad? Why are you allowed to marry for love and I'm not? And Duncan the Small meets Jenny of Old Stones with her um, spinning on those old stones in, uh, in the Riverlands and decides he will not marry um, Lady Baratheon. I don't even think we know her name. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that will come up sometime later. Um, and this is sort of where the magical elements are beginning to creeping back into Summerhall because the seeds of Summerhall are really here. They are here with Duncan the Small, they are here with Jenny of Oldstones, because their intervention is, is extremely similar to what we see from Rhaegar and Lyanna and Robert Baratheon. The, the result is almost exactly the same, where it, the, the, um, the details are mixed up a little bit, but you have the Targaryen, the crown prince of the Targaryens um, taking a woman for love rather than for than who he's supposed to and a target and a Baratheon Lord crowning himself and marching on store on uh, King's Landing to essentially get revenge on that <clears throat> it's um it's pretty on the nose when you start thinking about it in those terms it but politically this is also a huge problem I mean egg ends up winning the Lord Lionel's rebellion, notably Duncan the Tall, ends up beating him in single combat to end a rebellion. Very nice of Lord Lionel to put it on that and not just dragging it out like he could have. But this also creates a situation where the Stormlands were in open rebellion. Um, a lot of the lords would be upset with the Targaryens that they lost. Egg does his best to, he to heal those wounds and ends up uh, marrying, I think, his youngest son to um, the same daughter, the same Baratheon daughter, in order to heal the wound. Uh, Lord Lionel was not killed in this, but it's the introduction of the Children of the Forest and these ideas of prophecy and magic into, into what would eventually become Summerhall. If that doesn't happen, if Duncan never meets Jenny of Oldstones, much like what would happen if Lyanna had never met Howland Reed during the, um, the tourney at Harrenhal, things would have gone much, much, much differently. Egg probably would have never needed to actually end up hatching those eggs because he would have had a staunch ally on his eastern coast to stop the Blackfires. <clears throat> and it's also because of all this that the, uh, <laughs> the rest of the marriages he set up all kind of fall apart. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't really go well. 
Yeah, it's um, especially when we know that because Janie of Oldstones, when she came to court with Duncan, um, she brought a weird woods witch lady who, um, yeah, that ended up being interesting. She, this is where we get the prophecy that the prince that was promised would come from the line of Prince Ares and Princess Rayella, who at that time were not married. It is actually because of this that that happens. Um, Prince Ares was in love with uh, Joanna Lannister, Tywin's eventual life, well, wife, and Princess Rhaella liked, um, oh God, what is that guy's name? I always forget, the Holy Hundred. Bonifer Hasty. So had Again, this is more the what you can interpret as the old gods getting involved with the Targaryen dynasty. Duncan never meets Jenny. She, the woods witch, who many think is the ghost of Highheart, never comes to court. Never makes the prophecy. Ares and Rael are never married. They probably go off and marry for love, much had, which had become the, um, the prevailing idea under King Egg's rule. Um, would have ended up creating an alliance with the Lannisters, most likely. Maybe Tywin's unhappy about it. But Rayla probably ends up with Bonifer Hasty. So, yeah, no, no Rhaegar, no Daenerys, no Jon at that point. It all kind of sw uh, swirls back to here. Oh, I think I missed the super chat. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Um, Luminia. Luminia M. Um, sends me uh, $2. Love your work. Thank you, Joe Magician. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Thanks for, um, thanks for your super chat. Um, <clears throat> I'm saying um a lot today. I'm not really sure why. I think because it's just such a big topic and it's wrapped up in so many things, my mind's going like 15 different directions at the same time. Oh, hey, uh, Courtney Maza showing up in the chat. Danny McKay, John Webster. Hey, John, how's it going? <clears throat> uh, Aaron M says, this is where Robert Baratheon's claim stems from. It seems so far away from the current story that it's so close. That's true. This is all happening within um, Olena's lifetime, basically. If you want to use Olena uh, Tyrell as your, your reference. She is of marriage age when this is all happening. She is in her tens or twenties um this is all within uh living memory of westeros <clears throat> okay so we we have all we have that going on we have jenny of old stones we have the ghost of high heart coming to court we have what seems to be the interference of the children of the forest through these characters in order to um it's not really clear why they're doing it um Bloodraven at this time has, I don't believe he has joined the Children of the Forest. I think he's just the Lord Commander on the wall at this point. Um, I may be wrong about that time frame. I forget exactly when he shows up. Actually, you know what? Let's just look that up. When did he, when did Brendan Rivers disappear? Um, 252 AC. So yes, oh, he is probably the last Green Seer at this point. Uh, Summerhall happens at 2.59, so seven years before Summerhall, Bloodraven disappears from the Night's Watch. We know he becomes the last Greenseer 
um, becoming one with the Weirwoods, basically. So it is curious, to say the least. He disappears, learns to see beyond, becomes the last green seer, and all of this starts falling apart around Egg. Is it Blood Raven's fault? Is it always Blood Raven's fault? I mean, it could be. Uh, <laughs> actually, funny question in the chat. Victor Surge, is Joe a teacher IRL? No, I am not a teacher. Not even a little bit. I actually don't like public speaking, but here I am talking to 137 people at the moment. That's how that goes. I just enjoy doing this. Um, <clears throat> so that that sort of wraps up a little bit. Like, why did Summer Hall have to happen? Egg is seeing his realm fracture around him. The Blackfires are still active. He has lost Bloodraven and Aemon. Um, his children are disobeying him and breaking his alliances. Um, with <laughs> breaking his alliances, he had carefully crafted in order to create a defense against the eventual Blackfire rebellions. Um, not only that, there are elements of magic and prophecy coming to his court. This ghost of high heart has showed up and is starting to whisper in the whisper in the ears of the targaryen princes causing them to marry um his lords are also notably very upset at his reforms his reforms seem to be something along the lines of um maybe something like rainis or alisane did where they were where he was trying to make it so that the lords had less ability to punish that seems to be the main problem the lords are basically able to do whatever they want all of the time alisane and rainy's tried to restrict that so we can imagine that's sort of what's going on <laughs> i got my i got a sticker what is this uh jen snow uh my song of ice and fire mod compadre the jen snow that's her that's the actual one sends me a sticker of a guy saying i am amazing uh thanks so much jen that's very kind of you i hope um i hope uh your family's leaving you alone so you can listen to my very smart talk about the <laughs> about summer hall uh yeah it's very kind thank you so so much um so yeah everything egg's trying to do is sort of blowing up around him the marriage packs are gone the his allies are gone the Blackfires are gaining support in estos it seems very they're even making plans about which parts of westeros will be given to which of the nine penny kings it seems exceedingly likely that um that a, that the Blackfires are going to show up and they might be very successful especially because his reforms are driving lords who would normally be loyalists into the arms of somebody it, it's giving them it's giving the Blackfires an easy campaign pledge. All they have to say is, I will reverse Egg's reforms. And he has, and they have support. That's all they have to do. And again, um, the influence of Don Amon and the Ghost of High Heart cannot be understated. Um, these are things that are very core to the Targaryens. It's, this is not stated anywhere in the text. So, you know. Hang on a second, do you need to do a little tinfoil? We know that Eamon later in his life convinced 
Rhaegar, or they convinced each other that Rhaegar or his child would be the prince that was promised, mostly based on the prophecies of the Ghost of High Heart and also the scrolls that Ares I read, which Egg is aware of. He's aware of both. So, is it possible that Egg was convinced of much the same? Is he, was he convinced that bringing back these dragons would not only solve his Blackfire problem, but maybe solve the problem beyond the wall? You, we know we have two main characters in Bloodraven and Aemon that would be telling him that. That would be saying, um, the end of the world is coming. We need the prince that was promised. The prince, that was, the dragon has three heads, et cetera, et cetera. And Egg's looking around being like, wow, I could, I could solve all these problems at once. Very, very possible that he had a similar mentality to Rhaegar, um, where he had read these things and like happens to so many Targaryen princes thinks like, you know what? It's me. I'm the one. I'm going to save everything. I'm going to hatch these dragons and that'll be it. I actually talk about this in my, um, my video. What did I, what is it actually called now? <laughs> I've changed the title on it a couple of times. It's called Pyres in Blood. It's essentially um, a video talking about how all the Targaryens and their prophecy and their dragon dreams are essentially seeing Daenerys in the flames. That they are seeing her on Drogo's pyre, hatching her dragon, seeing her destiny, and thinking it's them. It's one of those weird things where, um, because it's uncertain, we see this from Daron in the, um, in the Hedge Knight, where the visions are not one-to-one. -one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of mixed messaging, there's a lot of interpretation in these things, uh, most notably with Melisandre. She has huge problems. And actually, let me just drop that in the chat. Um, Pyres and blood. Oh, it's currently called What Causes Targaryen Madness. There we go. There's a link to that. You guys can watch that afterwards. But in that video, I argue that Egg saw Daenerys on the flames and thought it was him. That he believed that it was his duty to create a massive fire that would hatch dragon eggs with a dead king on it. And from it, um, a princess would walk away with dragon eggs to save the world. And as he gets more desperate, as he as the Blackfires loom greater, as he hears probably from Aemon beyond the wall that Bloodraven has gone missing, that the cold winds are rising beyond the wall, he could, you can see how he may have convinced himself that these prophecies have to happen, that he has to be the one to do them, that it's the, it's actually a Stannis thing, where it's what is the, what is the, one child's life versus a kingdom you can start seeing how he may have been doing that math in his head <clears throat> it doesn't mean he was right by the way <laughs> that, that's sort of the thing is quite a lot of these characters who believe they are the prince that was promised that they are the one to save the world are most likely wrong and they are misinterpreting and they are sort of making things fit because, you know, narratively, that's very interesting for George, but it's also just, you know, many, many generations have, be have believed they are the one. They're not all the ones, so yeah, that's kind of a bummer.
Um, oh, Aaron M says the Pyres in Blood is extremely good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it after that. I explain a lot. I go into a lot more about the uh, prophecy aspect. Um, <clears throat> Andrew K says, Ghost of Hire has the mark of weirwood old gods who got the ball rolling, as did Blood Raven with his look and abilities. Too much adding up on one side. Yeah, it seems very much that the Targaryens were probably being manipulated somehow. Um, whether the dreams were coming from the children of the forest or they were interpreting them in a particular way, it seems they had some sort of goal involved with them. Um, there's also a very interesting part of and this will get into what actually happened at summer hall that egg had taken an, a very unusual tactic with the hatching of the dragon egg something that the targaryens hadn't really tried since baylor the blessed and that is he wanted to strengthen the the relationship between the crown and the faith he wanted to make sure that as he moved forward with all this that everyone was on board and make getting the moral authority of the faith of the seven in old town on your side is a great way to do that i mean it doesn't do you any good with the north doesn't do you any good with the ironborn but most equestrians follow the faith pretty pretty tightly and in the past the high septon has had the ability to um even challenge the targaryens while they had dragons so he is attempting with his um, dragon egg hatching scheme to make an alliance between himself and the faith. In particular, he's trying to do what uh, Jaehaerys and Alysanne kind of did with the Targaryen exceptionalism. He wants to enshrine in the faith of the Seven that the dragons are essentially um, like manifestations of the Seven on Earth. That it's not, it's not a clash to be a follower of the Faith of the Seven and to support the Targaryens, they're one and the same. Um, and we know from the Valyrian religions that they essentially, that's what they believe, that the dragons were sort of like gods. They were kind of worshipped in that way. So the choice of the Seven Eggs was to make a gesture <laughs> towards the rest of Westeros that you should worship these dragons and those that control them like you do the Seven. It's very, very important that this is a part of his plan, and it's noted in the, the text that I read at the very top that the Septons were not happy about this. They were, in fact, super not on board with this. Um, we know they hated Targaryen exceptionalism. We know they hated um, the, how they, the Targaryens were sort of destroying the power structures within Westeros when Aegon landed. So... Yeah, they were. Egg sort of sees it as an olive branch. He's like, "Listen, we we can be we can work together. We can be one and the same." And the faith and the maesters in Old Town are like, "I don't want. We don't want that. We don't want. We want you gone. We're happy with no dragons. The dragons returning, and then being a major tenant of the faith, is extraordinarily bad for them." <clears throat> um. We know that the Faith really hammered the Targaryens early on about their incest and polygamy, but those were sort of the, the moral issues that they put their, um, their problems on. The real problem, though, was the dragons, the ability for 
Aegon and the return of the Valyrian Empire to knock over sovereigns and power structures just by landing with a dragon. Um, they in no way have forgotten the times that Jaehaerys and Alysanne and Maegor flew their dragons to Old Town and threatened to burn down the city unless they did what they wanted. The Faith and the Maesters and Old Town do not want that. They really don't want that. They don't want to return to that. They enjoy that they now have a place in the Targaryen court. Egg is making the offer. They are pissed. <laughs> so we'll get into uh, in a little bit, like who was trying to stop this. Keep that one in mind. They are extremely unhappy at Egg's attempt. <clears throat> And um, oh, you guys are talking about old myths and uh, weirwoods and old gods. I'll get back to that. I swear. I'm just gonna. We're gonna move on right now to who didn't want egg to hatch these dragons. And I think making this list is very important for trying to think about. Why did the wildfire go wrong? Why did Summerhall burn down? Why did so many of the Targaryens die? Well, at the top of the list is the Band of Nine and the Blackfires. While Egg is saying, if I get the dragons back, I can stop the Blackfires, the, the opposite is true for the Blackfires. They're like, oh shit, if he gets dragons, we have no shot anymore. As long as they are, as long as Egg and his family are still just dudes with swords and crowns, the Blackfires can win. The, the Blackfires, I mean, if the dragons return, that is over with. The Blackfires can try and claim dragons like happened in the past, but it's very likely that Egg would jealously guard them and keep them far away, never let the Blackfires get within 100 miles of the, of the seven dragons that he's trying to hatch. So <clears throat> if they heard and the Band of Nine, so that includes quite a lot of the um, Essos cities, the Daughters of Lyria. If they heard Egg was making a serious attempt at getting back the dragons, it's extraordinarily likely that they would want to stop this, that they would try to assassinate Egg and his children and everyone involved to make sure the dragons don't come back. They want, the Blackfires do want the dragons, but they don't want them in the hands of their rivals. <clears throat> Um, any sort of plot to, to kill Egg at Summerhall has to start with them. They're the ones right at the top of the list. <clears throat> um, the second is, like I was talking about a few minutes ago, the Maesters and the Septons. The Faith of the Seven were trying to tell Egg not to do this, probably because they had some sort of role in the death of the dragons to begin with and especially um their grandstanding about the trying to reduce polygamy and the dangers of targaryen incest seem to have worked in some way of maybe reducing the genetics the genetic potential that seems to link the targaryens to their dragons whether or not they were actively trying to kill the dragons you the biggest evidence for that, I think, is the Dance of the Dragons, where the High Towers essentially split the Targaryens against themselves and got them to kill quite a lot of each other and a lot of their dragons in one go. So, 
at the very least, I would not put it past the Maesters and the Septons, and just sort of anyone from Old Town who ha has a vested interest in the return of the dragons being bad for them. They could very well be on the table. We do know that Septons and Maesters were at Summer Hall, so that's not great for, for Egg's chances. Um, the third one, this is a little bit further down on, on like the the threat meter, but the rest of the lords of Westeros, especially those that are upset by the reforms. Like I said, where any, the Blackfires only have to make a campaign promise of reverse eggs reforms, at the same time, all those problems get worse when Egg has his dragons back. Because at the, for right now, hang on a second, I'm gonna fix that. Okay, it looks better for me. Um, they can at least fight a war if they get really unhappy with Egg. They can build p political support. They can create an alliance. They can do a Robert Baratheon if they feel like it, if they feel Egg has gone too far. The dragons are back. They are, sh they are shit out of luck. Uh, it will be extraordinarily hard for them to reverse any of this. They will once again be at the mercy of the dragon lord showing up like uh, Visenya did in the Vale and putting the air on her knee with the dragon right next to it. It is irreversible changes to Westeros and they don't want that. So it's very likely that if somebody was plotting to get rid of Egg and his children and the dragon eggs, yeah, they would, um, <laughs> those are pretty big suspects. There, there was a lot of um, discontent among his powerful lords. And I think um, the last one is kind of an unusual one because they don't really come up in the story of Duncan Egg or um, Egg on the Unlikely, but it's Bravos. Um, Bravos, much like we, they're watching Daenerys, they had to be watching Egg kind of closely. Nobody in the world is less happy that the of the return of the Valyrian Empire, the new Valyria, the return of the dragons, than the faceless men in the Iron Bank and the Sea Lord of Bravos. They hear about this, they're not gonna be happy. There's quite a lot of skepticism about Danny from the Bravosi, even though she's anti-slavery. The dragons enable the worst abuses of humankind. They allow the the those that have them to become another class of person. They allow them to become almost gods to do whatever they want to the world. Sure, maybe Egg's a good guy, but what about his descendants? What about four generations from now? What if an Aryan Bright Flame instead has control of the dragons again? And he says, you know what? I think slavery's cool. I, Aryan Bright Flame II, thinks that I should bring it back. And I have the dragons to do it. Bravos would be, has to be thinking about that as they're watching what's going on in Westeros and the Band of Nine. Especially if they understand that Egg is getting desperate. He's calling around the world probably for people to come help him to hatch his dragons. Well, that would not escape the notice of the Faceless Man in the Iron Bank, I would suspect. And they're close enough to do something about it. I mean, there's other people in the world that would be very unhappy about um, the dragons returning, but they're very far away. Like, they don't have a role. Bravos, we know, does have a role in Westeros. So, faceless men are on the table here. 
But let's go the other way. So who would who would be very happy that the dragons would return? Well, Egg obviously and his family. It would allow them to enshrine the reforms, enshrine the the merging of the faith of the dragons into one. Um, it would essentially be a return of Valyrian gods in a sense, and they would be those. It's much in the same way that we see from Daenerys how powerful she becomes just by owning the dragons. She becomes a world force, and she tries to use it to do good, although we know from the Miranese, the Miranese not, and as she goes forward, that's becoming a lot harder, but everyone in the world has to, would have to respect the power of the Targaryens if they got their dragons back, especially if they were a bit more ambitious. <clears throat> But they would be extremely happy. Um, Aemon, of course, he's he's I consider him separate from the Targaryens in this because he's less concerned with the power they bring. He seems much more in tune with how they can be used to fight the others, how they can be used as tools against the darkness. And you know, he's up on the wall, he's studying dragon lore, he's studying prophecy and magic, all these kind of things. He sort of represents this, this, this sect that believes the prince that was promised was necessary, so, but separate from the children of the forest, I would say. Um, they would be pretty happy about that. And then, of course, we have Bloodraven and the children of the forest. Whatever's going on with Bloodraven, who really knows? But it seems to be, based on their actions, that they were trying to bring back the dragons. <clears throat> um, it's, uh, it's unclear why they want to do it. It's, um, the show has one answer on that, but the influence of Jenny of Oldstones and the Ghost of High Heart on Duncan the Small, the the rippling out that happens, the role of Bloodraven and Aemon, who obviously knew each other, and all these dreams and prophecy that seems to be swirling around, specifically the prophecy that the prince that would promise would come from uh, Rael and Ares. All these things led to convince Egg that there was an existential threat that he needed these dragons for and put him in a position to do it. And they also seem unhappy with the results of Summerhall, though. Uh, the ghost of High Heart, when we meet her in, um, in Arya's chapters, um, she asks Tom Seven for Jenny's song, her Jenny's song, implying that this is the same person, that she gorged on grief at Summerhall, that she was unhappy with it, basically. Um, to, I mean, to put it mildly, this, like, the Ghost of High Heart scenes are heartbreaking. Going back and reading them and seeing just what a broken person she is from Summerhall should tell you what a devastating event it was, but it should also tell you that <laughs> the Children of the Forest were, like, were setting up the return of the dragons then, somehow, for some reason, and it did not go to plan. So, yeah, they've also been trying for quite a long time to merge together the Targaryen uh, bloodline with First Men. Um, the Pact of Ice and Fire was made during the Dance of the Dragons. You have the House Strong, 
uh, the first man house almost ending up on the throne through uh, Rhaenyra and Breakbones. Uh, you have Alice Rivers and Aemond One-Eye. Bloodraven is literally emerging of first, first man blood and the Targaryens. It seems to be they're trying to make some kind of alliance between the old gods and the dragons, either to use them as tools or to make a coalition, that kind of thing. Um, and actually, there's a there's a fourth group that would be very happy about the dragons returning, and this one kind of gets lost because, you know, they're not thought about as much. But the Pyromancers Guild were extremely happy that the Targaryens were trying to use them and their wildfire and their magic to bring back the dragons, and we know that it was even after Summerhall that they that through Ares they were they grew in prominence. They were starting to supplant the Maesters and the Septons. In the um, in the Targaryen courts, um, I mean, we know that Rossart, the Pyromancer, was a key member of Ares's um, regime. So, yeah, they they have a big role in this. And if it succeeded, if the Wildfire was able to bring back the dragons, the Targaryens would have a lifetime would have an an infinite debt to the pyromancers for their service they would be rewarded beyond measure i'm sure they would become a they would become the the new fire mages the new probably the new um maybe new priests of this targaryen faith idea of linking them together so they were definitely on board I, there's been suggestions that the pyromancers tried to kill egg for this but that doesn't make any sense to me they had everything to gain by the eggs being hatched and seems seems very likely that that is not what was happening <laughs> um <clears throat> so let's talk about what actually happened we're an hour in and we're finally talking about the events of summer hall we're finally here summer hall is about to happen Egg has gathered his seven eggs. He has gathered his pyromancers. He has gathered his family. He's at Summerhall. Okay. Actually, wait a second. No. We're gonna do a a quick little um, little promo stuff. So, uh, obviously, if this is your first time on your channel, um, please like, subscribe, share the stream, do all the things, tell your friends about it if you enjoy these. Uh, I'm doing these quarantine streams once a week. Uh, I'm moving back to 2 p.m. from 1 p.m. I'm trying to be nicer to people in different time zones. Um, the plan is to keep doing these as we're going forward. Uh, on Tuesdays, I've started doing uh, Crusader Kings 2 streams. Uh, that's about, I think I have it scheduled for 7 o'clock this upcoming Tuesday. Um, I'm playing as House Dane at the moment. The game has been ridiculous. My character has bedded um, <laughs> Damon Blackfire. Um, Shira Seastar and Bloodraven have a kid. The, my, my character got lost in a hedge maze with Dunk trying to become friends. It's ridiculous. If you enjoy Crusader Kings 2 or, if, um, you know, you, you maybe have seen Aziz playing it on History of Westeros and uh, Ashea, you know, come hang out. It's a lot of fun. Much less structured in these things. Um, upcoming videos, I have a video talking about um, how Aegon the Sixth will take um, Storm's End in the Winds of Winter, because it seems like he has. How did he pull that off? Writing a theory about it. Um, Non-magical. I'm talking about a lot of magic here. It's mostly just uh, politics and trickery. 
Um, after that, I mean, talking about more about the Faceless Men, I put out that video about Arya's coin. That was just sort of the introduction to a lot of the topics about the Faceless Men I love talking about. The magic, how they work, what are they doing, what does it tell us about George's idea of magic, all that good stuff. Um, if you enjoy these streams or you enjoy my videos or anything like that, you know, consider supporting me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Magician. You go there, you sign up for, I think the $5 level gets you access to Patreon, Slack, as well as um, early videos and early audio stuff behind the scenes. Uh, the Patreon Slack is always awesome. A lot of the people you see here in the chat, like Steven Stark, Aaron M, Courtney Miles, all those people, all my mods and a lot of my patrons are in there all the time talking about people apparently they're thirsting after and all the other fun stuff that's going on. Um, anything else? Oh, uh, if you listen to these, it, it would actually be a big favor to me if you would go to um, any sort of podcast place and find the audio versions of these. It's called The Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Google Play, Spotify, whatever. You know, give it a, a rating and a review if you could. It would really help um, get the message out about all these uh, <laughs> about all these videos that are coming out. And because um, I I produce audio only versions for people that um that don't have the time to sit down and listen to me talk for two hours on a video. So yeah, if you could do that. Any other promos? I don't think so. I think that's all of them. Patreon. Oh, and um, we'll be getting to the Q&A section and that sort of thing. So if you have any questions you definitely want me to get to, um, send me a super chat with it, with a question on it and I'll make sure to get to it. Um, <laughs> oh no, my patrons are upset that I'm spilling their secrets. Oh no. Sorry guys, it's not like everyone didn't know that John has an insane love of Kira Knightley. Nobody knew this before. This was apparently a secret. Just like, um, what's his name? Uh, Grant on Twitter has an insane love of Gal Gadot. Nobody's ever heard of these things. Um. <laughs> all right, so all those over. Let's go to what actually happened at Summer Hall. What are the events? So you have the seven eggs arranged in the, I'm guessing in some sort of big room in Summer Hall, they have, um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doxing anyone, Viserya, calm down. Um, the seven eggs set up, he has most of his family there. You have the pyromancers, you have a maester, you have Duncan the Tall. And this is notably, at one point in the text, it said that the gathering at Summer Hall was linked to the birth of Rhaegar, that, it, um, Rhaella Targaryen was pregnant with um, Prince Aerys' uh, child, which who we know is Rhaegar Targaryen, and the plan was, as he was being born, they were going to try and hatch the dragons at the same time, some sort of kind of weird synergy that he's trying to go for. Uh, this is one of the things that led me to believe this is something I'll get to in a few minutes about the linking of Rhaegar to the eggs and summer hall and the tragedy at summer hall um <clears throat> it's it, there seems to be something about rhaegar that 
that he knows he comes to find out later and it contributes to his his sorrow and his depression and his sense of doom but yeah so they they gather them all together the pyromancers are going to it seems light wildfire around the eggs perform some sort of ritual and the idea will be the eggs will hatch like we see with danny in the dothraki sea something goes wrong um the wildfire grows out of control um like kind of like we see on blackwater bay where it almost seems to have intentionality to it where it, you can almost see like fire demons in it like it, it's not just a regular fire it spreads and destroys with malice and it seems to have done that at summer hall it consumes most of the targaryen family um egg duncan um duncan the small uh duncan the tall as well um the maester is i think he's burned as well um you have to assume that betha blackwood is i'm not sure if she's dead at this point but it ends up killing all the remaining members of the family except for <clears throat> uh king jaharis well prince jaharis at that point uh Ares and rayella the fire grows out of control burns down the entire place re reduces the entire palace to a smoking ruin and destroyed to the point that they can never rebuild it summer hall remains a ruin until the current times sort of a sad reminder of what happened um the interesting thing and this is actually something that came from the my patron slack uh marianne she said um what's the deal with the sand in the ceiling it was supposed to extinguish the fire and suffocate the survivors this is an important part of why people think that there was maybe a conspiracy that um the tragedy at summer hall was an inside job it's that when the pyromancers use wildfire they don't usually use it well carelessly while they're creating the substance they have essentially a safety system where if it gets out of control you break a seal or something like that and a whole bunch of sand falls and it puts out the fire that it's a way to stop the entire guild from burning down they have they have specially designed room for these things a lot of novices have died during um while they're learning to make it uh choked out in the sand but it's they they do know how to handle it safely and they have safety mechanisms in place that for some reason either were not at summer hall or did not work correctly so that they didn't bring them would seem ridiculous um it's more likely they failed to put out the wildfire which like, points to treachery in some way or something going amiss um and then there's the line about uh would have died but save for the lord commander so we're talking about duncan the tall here um since we know that basically the only survivors of summer hall were aries jaharis and Rayella and the newborn Rhaegar, who was, um, if you saw from the the picture I used for the 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 card for this video, um, Rhaegar was born outside Summerhall while his family was all dying. So it's implied that somehow Duncan the Tall um, managed to save those two, get them outdoors, and then died in the blaze himself. Um, there's actually a question here from the patron Slack. Again, uh, Stephen Stark says, do you have a take on Dunk's foot being important at Summerhall? Um, 
This this is one of the theories I've heard going around that I think makes a lot of sense to me. There's a lot of references in Duncan Egg to uh, Dunk's foot or his boot being worth the life of a Targaryen prince, where he, after the events of the Hedge Knight, he mourns or thinks internally about how Prince Baylor died for Dunk in the trial by seven that ended up happening. That it doesn't seem right that Dunk's life, his that his foot in some way, um, well, be, it's because Dunk crushed. Well, no, I forgot what it has to do with his foot, but there's there's some line about that. You guys in the chat, I'm sure you know that. Uh, you know, post it and read it. There's some sort of melancholy about Dunk that his life has essentially been put on borrowed time. That his life has been bought with Targaryen princes so in the future maybe that debt will be paid back um oh yes Carl Karsnark says the egg hides his signet ring in his boot too um oh that's right he was going to lose his foot Stephen Stark says he was going to lose his foot uh for kicking Arion that's um after he after Arion smashed uh Tancel two talls um puppets and all that stuff um so people have wondered this is foreshadowing that somehow Dunk's, Dunk will repay that debt to Egg and to the Targaryen family that at some point his life will be traded, that his, his foot will somehow be integral into the saving of the Targaryen dynasty, um, that, 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 will, that debt will be repaid. And since we know he did save Aerys and Rhaella and uh, Jaehaerys, it's possible that in the while all of summer hall is happening that while the wildfire is escaping and everyone's dying around him that somehow dunk puts like his foot in the door or something like that and finds a way to get the the newborn oh well, not the newborn he finds a way to get rayella and aries and jaharis out while he can't save anybody else um it would especially be interesting if that was because if if Summerhall wasn't an accident, if it was a planned hit to kill the Targaryen dynasty, well, usually what would happen is you would shut all the doors um, and then you'd let the, the fire go. You would like close and lock them, bar the doors. If Dunk is able to use his foot as an ins his insane strength and giganticism to break through one of those doors, that would be kind of a... Um, a fitting end of his service, I would guess. Uh, a use of the foot coming forward. Um, uh, yes, uh, Vanessa Annecy says, hold the door. The idea that Hodor may be a descendant of Duncan the Tall, that there's this idea that doors and Targaryens are gonna be used to save children of destiny in some way. Um, Uh, Viserra, um, Viserion in the chat says, I thought he got Riel and went back for more, maybe that's headcanon. Um, I assume, and I, no, no real basis for this, but I, I assume that Dunk would have gotten out Riel, Ares, and Jaehaerys, or no, I don't think Jaehaerys was there, and then gone back for Egg, gone back for his friend, tried to save them from the fire and been unable to. 
<clears throat> so that's a, that's a way that the foot or the boot or the boot could be important in some way. Um, but I have a different theory that I proposed in the Pyres and Blood video, and maybe a good time to talk about it now. I believe that it was not an accident that what happened was that Egg didn't tell people what his plans were, that there was going to be an element of blood sacrifice, that if he was following the dreams of Daenerys, there's certain elements, there's commonalities to that dream, to that, to that scene that seems to come out in different Targaryens. There's the idea that a king will die on a pyre or be burned in a pyre, um, a child will die, and then the dragons will come back into the world. There's a sort of an, an abridged version of that with um, King Aerys, where he says that he's going to burn down King's Landing, he, um, Robert will be the king of cooked meat, basically, and that Jamie says that Aerys was going, believed he was going to rise again as a dragon that from the ashes of his body and the king's landing the dragons would re be reborn um there's also elements of that in how arian bright flame died where he also wanted to use uh, wildfire to become a dragon it said that while he was drunk he drank wildfire believing it would turn him into a dragon so if we're talking about wildfire, we're talking about dead children, we're talking about a king dying and being reborn into a dragon, it's hard not to see what Egg was doing with linking Rhaegar's birth to the return of the dragons, with the, his use of wildfire as well. The belief of the Targaryens at this time, the prince that was promised was coming, that he may have either tried to put himself on the pyre and um, burned, or he may have tried to pull himself or Rayella on the fire and do some kind of blood sacrifice, do essentially remake Daenerys, the vision of Daenerys, making it come true. Uh, Vanessa Ennessy, they were going to cook Rayella, I'm telling you, I think that's very much on the table. Um, himself, Rayella, Rhaegar. Um, because if you look at Daenerys's vision, the princess whose child has died and her king is dead, walks out of the flames unburnt with three dragons. So, Egg may have expected that Rayella was going to live through this, that the, the magic of destiny was going to protect her, much in the same way it happens with Daenerys and the visions. Um, that Rhaegar was going to be the sacrifice or somehow maybe be the stallion that would mount the world in some way. Some sort of idea that Rayella and Rhaegar together, some sort of sacrifice, some sort of burning with Egg himself dying would be the impetus to bring back the dragons to save the world. And it's the kind of thinking that you can imagine Egg would get his mind into as he got more and more desperate. It's... um. He really does want to do good in the world, but he's finding himself being dragged down into the problems of politics and rebellious lords and rights and coin. And he's just getting more and more frustrated as his plans fall apart. And he's just getting down to, well, what do I do? Well, the dragons would solve it. 
Um, but it's important to note that none of no nowhere in the books does it say anything like this. George offers a bunch of different explanations, which actually does make sense. If Egg was planning to do this, then he would not tell anybody <laughs> that it would probably be the sort of thing that he would keep to himself until the last moment. Um, Carl Karsnark says, the road to hell is paved with good intention, absolutely. That seems to be an element that Egg shares with, um, with Stannis in particular, um, that he may end up sharing with Daenerys. Um, Isabel Harper says, that Rael would walk out unburnt, I can understand, and never considered that before, that Wait, sorry, just bump. Barring Egg goes that dark. It's all... You see, the thing is, for Egg, it might not be dark. He could be doing the same calculus. How do I save the world? Is it worth saving the world to give up myself? To give up Rhaegar or Rael? You can see that logic. That's logic that exists in the rest of the story. Um... Rael of the Unburnt may have been his idea of how this would work for him. Um, up to uh, 170 people in the chat right now. Uh, thank you guys for spending your afternoon with me. Um, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. I'm um, going to be doing the Q&A in a few minutes. Um, start taking your questions now, super chats, that kind of thing. Um, Egg could have been believed that he would be the one, although we know from Rhaegar that he ends up believing that it would be his child and not him. It may Egg may have viewed it as um, Just uh, knocked out my mic there for a second. Um, it, it seemed, I, I don't think Egg would do it for himself. He would do it for the next generations, much in the way um, that Rhaegar clearly believed he would, and that we see with Aemon, his idea that he's trying to prepare the next generation. Um, that that's my theory that's the one I, I tend to believe that it was not, that george is setting up all these factions that were trying to stop egg but i think it would it would be an even better take on it more tragic more true to the larger themes going on in the song of ice and fire with the prophecy and the prince that was promised and the dragon must have three heads that the worst thing that ha one of the worst things that happened to targaryen fantasy family was not external threats trying to hurt them that it was a self-destruction that it was them burning themselves down that would be a far better story it'd be far more tragic i mean if you think about it, if you were reading Duncan Egg, and you're because you're seeing it from dunk's perspective imagine what he would be going through his mind as he saw Egg with the light, the wildfire at the eggs, and calls for Rayella to come up onto the flames. What would Dunk do? Who would he try? Would he try and kill Egg? Would he have to? Um, would would he betray his king to save the princes and princesses? It's the perfect. It's the absolute perfect moment that George likes creating when you challenge a character's core beliefs in the exact way that makes an impossible choice. Much in the same way that 
um, like you see with Brienne with her no chance, no choice moment that you see with, um, again, with, again with Brienne when she's at the noose for Lady Stoneheart, where she has to agree to help Stoneheart get revenge on Jamie in order to save Pod. How do you choose which one, which one to do when you see that Egg is going to try and kill his family or himself with wildfire? Um, I think that's a very George idea. And I think it absolutely goes right in with the story he's telling, especially as we start talking about in the future with Daenerys and Jon, where these ideas of <laughs> what is your duty to your friends versus the world versus to vows you swore, like, I mean, Duncan swore to, as a Kingsguard, swore to protect the king, but... I mean, we, Gerald Hightower says, well, we protect the king, but we don't protect him, um, don't protect his family from her, I mean, from him, but I imagine Duncan would have a very different idea about that. And it would be the absolute perfect moment for, for high tragedy that, Egg, that Dunk has to either decide to let De Egg die in the wildfire or stop him to save Rayella and Rhaegar and Ares. Anyway, so <clears throat> that's more the the meta level of why I think that theory is probably true. It's um, it would hurt the most. Basically, <laughs> that's what George tends to go through. He goes to what would hurt the most, and Egg doing it in, on purpose, not telling Dunk, and Dunk having to decide what to do in real time would hurt the most for the reader and for Dunk personally. And much like Brienne when she um, takes out her sword with no chance, no choice, I imagine for Dunk, he would feel the same, where he always um, tries to protect the innocent when he can. He would definitely try to foil the plot in some way. I think it would be even more heartbreaking if the doors shuddering behind the Targaryens um, as the wildfire is lit is not like the Faceless Men or the Maesters or the Septons, but the other members of the King's Guard. What if Egg ordered the rest of the King's Guard to bar the doors while he um, tried to enact his plan to bring back the dragons by sacrificing members of his family or himself, and Dunk is the only one that disobeyed? It'd be heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, just like everything slipping away from, um, from Dunk in the end. <clears throat> uh, Flora Sands um, has a question she's saying I think I understand Joe's theory but if Egg thought it would be Rael emerging from the Pirate Dragons why would Aemon to Sam have said we never thought it was a princess well that's what Aemon thinks it's very likely that Egg had his own ideas um, he also could have believed it was going to be himself I'm not sure about exactly which way it goes but I think it's pretty clear that he was definitely planning to burn people, members of his family, on the pyre in order to bring back the dragons to recreate Daenerys's, um, her visions. And it doesn't, it doesn't just stop here though. We also know that, um, these moments sort of echoed throughout the lives of the Targaryens for years afterwards. Um, we hear from... Let me see if I can find the quote. 
we know from the text that long after Summerall had burnt out and Rhaegar had grown up, his favorite place in the world was actually to go back to Summerhall. Um, we hear this in A Storm of Swords, Danny 4. Um, Barristan says this to Danny, I believe it's Barristan. <clears throat> he, says, he says, yes, and yet Summerhall was the place the prince loved best. He would go there from time to time with only his harp for company. Even the Knights of the Kingsguard did not attend him there. He liked to sleep in the ruined hall beneath the moon and stars, and whenever he came back, he would bring a song. When you heard him play his high harp with the silver strings and sing of twilights and tears and the death of kings, you could not but feel he was singing of himself and those he loved. Um, it's very likely that when we're talking about Rhaegar going there with his harp, Tom of Seven Strings also plays the harp, and he plays the harp for the ghost of High Heart. Um, this it's very possible that Rhaegar went to Summerhall on his own and was maybe meeting with the ghost of High Heart to tell him about what happened at Summerhall because um, it's unclear. Well, we know the ghost of High Heart did not die in Summerhall, but we don't know what happened to Jenny of Oldstones. Um, did she survive? Did she also perish in the flames? Did she live out her life in the woods, done with society, basically gone back to her old stones to dance and spin with her ghosts? Um, the idea that also Rhaegar is a master song player, um, he, may have, he may have been buying visions. Uh, Although the High Heart is quite far away from Summerhall, that's where the ghost is now. Um, maybe for years afterwards, the ghost of the ghost of High Heart, as we know her, was actually the ghost of Summerhall that she stayed there and would meet with Rhaegar and talk about visions and prophecy and what happened at Summerhall. Maybe the ghost had some inkling of what Egg tried to do. And that's what the information Rhaegar would buy when he went there on his own with his harp, um, sleeping in the ruined hall and singing of deaths of kings. Um, actually, the I have the line right here. The dwarf women, dwarf women studied him with dim red eyes. I see you, she whispered. I see you, wolf child, blood child. I thought it was the Lord who smelled of death. She began to sob, her little body shaking. You are cruel to come to my hill. Cruel. I gorged on grief at Summerhall. I need none of yours. Be gone from here, Darkheart. Be gone. If she's saying that to Arya, to Arya Stark, imagine what the ghost of Highheart would say when she met Rhaegar, who believed he was the prince I was promised. That seems very likely that his son, Jon Snow, will be integral in the ending of The Others and The Long Night. Um, the figures of destiny that swirl around Rhaegar and Summerhall, it would be unbelievable. And then we have the line here from Aemon, he actually talks about Summerhall. He says, Rhaegar, I thought, the smoke was from the fire that devoured Summerhall on the day of his birth, the salt from the tears shed for those who died. He shared my belief when he was young, but later became persuaded that it was his own son who fulfilled the prophecy. For Comet had been seen above King's Landing on the night Aegon had, was conceived, and Rhaegar was certain the Bleeding Star had to be a Comet. 
What fools we were who thought ourselves so wise. Absolutely, it's right there that Rhaegar was was very much involved with prophecy, that he was, that the two of them linked Summer Hall and his birth to the prince that was promised. It's, it seems pretty likely to me that if Rhaegar was, look, was going out into the woods to Summer Hall where nobody else goes on his own with his harp, Ghost of High Heart is the best person to go see. Um, and the idea that Jenny's song, it would actually, it would fit uh, so perfectly well if Jenny's song was a song that Rhaegar wrote about Summerhall for the Ghost of High Heart, and then that song is what the song he played in order to get Lyanna Stark to fall in love with him. Like, the way they just all start fitting together if you assume that Rhaegar and the Ghost of High Heart were meeting at Summerhall, this fits perfectly. It, it, it's one of those things where it's like a big tangled mess, and then you just like pull on one string, and it all just comes together. It's like, of course, yes, this must be what's happening. That's one of the things I like best about the um, my Aim in the Blind video and the, um, the Pyres and Blood video is... They all just, both of those videos, at least for me, these were these are all very hard questions to put together. Fandom's been wondering about it for forever. How do these things fit together? What does the prophecy in Aemon have to do with the Ghost of Highheart and Jenny of Oldstones? If you just link them all together around Summerhall and the tragedy at Summerhall and Daenerys, it all just falls into place. At least logically for me, it does. Um... Is there anything else on my doc I wanted to get to? There's also, um, some people think that the Jenny of Old Stones, if she, well, if she died or not in Summerhall, um, I would suspect she would. The Ghost of High Heart seems very upset about it. If Jenny would, had survived, you'd think that, um, Oh, uh, Flora Sand says, uh, just curious, how do we know the Ghost of High Heart isn't Jenny? Um, the Ghost of High Heart is an albino with the red eyes, basically. Um, Jenny is uh, apparently just a normal brown-haired Riverlander girl. So, I mean, she would be old enough at the time to look like an old woman, but it seems that the Ghost of High Heart is probably a child of the forest in disguise. That she's masquerading as an old woman, or if not a, a go not if not a child of the forest, then some kind of ancient green seer um, type figure, much like Blood Raven, who is just incredibly old at this point. And it's it actually does not stop. Summerhall does not stop with just Rhaegar. I mean, he was. Um, very much. Oh, uh, Jay Moray says Alice Rivers is the ghost of High Heart. Um, I don't think the appearances match, but that's that's a popular theory too. That um, maybe the ghost of High Heart is maybe she's the child of Alice Rivers and Aemon One Eye, or um, 
or somehow related to Alice Rivers. It would make a lot of sense to link those stories together in that way. Um, Daenerys is getting a crash course in A Dance with Dragons from Barristan all about Summerhall. Um, she had heard about it before from Viserys, but Barristan is filling her in about, in particular, why it happened, how it affected Rhaegar, um, how it was such a destructive event, and how it keeps swirling around in her story. Um, let me grab the, let me add some quotes up here. Ah, so when Daenerys is considering in the Kingbreaker chapter what to do about uh, Dario Naharis and marrying his daughter Zalorak, uh, this is the quote. She says, better for Daenerys and for Westeros. Daenerys had loved her captain, but that was the girl and her, not the queen. Prince Rhaegar loved his lady Lyanna, and thousands died for it. Daemon Blackfire loved the first Daenerys, and rose in rebellion when denied her. Bittersteel and Bloodraven both loved Shira Seastar, and the Seven Kingdoms bled. The Prince of Dragonflies loved Jenny of Oldstone so much, he cast aside a crown, and Westeros paid the bride price in corpses. All three sons of the fifth Aegon had wed for love, in defiance of their father's wishes, and became... And because that unlikely monarchs had himself followed his heart when he chose his queen, he allowed his sons to have their way, making bitter enemies where he might have had fast friends. Treason and turmoil followed as night follows day, ending at summer hall in sorcery, fire, and grief. So this quote in, in A Dance with Dragons is explicitly pulling together all these different plot lines by George into one coherent um, idea that... The Targaryens going back even to Daemon Blackfire, going back to um, yeah, going back to Daemon Blackfire and Daenerys, all the way through Bittersteel and Bloodraven and Shiera to Jenny of Oldstones and Prince Duncan, Rhaegar and Lyanna, that all these are connected in one larger plot that George seems to be retelling over and over again about the a Targaryen prince and the woman he loves, which most of the time seems to be another Targaryen, uh, if we're talking about John and Danny, and how their love, their desire to, to be with each other rather than doing the practical thing ends up dooming them or the rest of the world around them, and how these are all fitting together somehow with, the, with Summer Hall and sorcery and fire and grief. Um, it's, it's, I find it fascinating that George is using Daenerys' story, linking it back to Summerhall. Because it, it, when you think about it, like it is so far removed from Danny. It's, it's like decades in the past. Damon and um, Damon and Daenerys, Bloodraven and Bittersteel and Shiera. But it's the same story that keeps coming up over and over again. And it kind of adds credence to the idea that Daenerys and John will end up playing out their own version that has to do with magic and prophecy and dragons and the old gods and I guess the others in some way. Uh, Scott McCloy in the chat says, love is the death of duty. Yes, exactly. The Maester Aemon's speech to John about um, doing, doing your duty versus helping those you love. Um, one of the key parts, I think, of A Song of Ice and Fire that has a lot to do with the tragedy at Summerhall. Um, it'd be interesting if John ever finds out about it. Um, 
what he will think. His relationship to Egret has certain echoes of it as well. Um, oof. There's actually one more way that somehow keeps being brought up. It brought up in uh, comparison to Robert Baratheon. Because the main point, one of the main points where Robert's military campaign hinged was at Summerhall. He fought um, three battles in like one day. Yeah, he fought at Summerhall. He won three battles in a single day and brought Lords Grandison and Catherine back to Storm's End as prisoners. So this was the big moment in Robert's rebellion at Summerhall um, that the, Tar Mor the Targaryen dynasty died again. That um, had Robert not won those three battles in one day, it's it's much it's very likely that these that the rebellion would have gone worse for him. Like this was a big moment. He gained a lot of allies from this. He gained a lot of credibility, and he even uh, brought his the um, the captured lords onto his side and used them against Ares and Rhaegar. Um, so. It seems that George is extremely insistent that Summerhall will have some role to play, that whenever the Targaryens cannot seem to stop going there, and that when they do, it hurts them. It's, it's sort of the, the, a physical manifestation of the idea of uh, magic and prophecy are swords without hilts, that the closer they get to Summerhall, the closer they get back to this place, that they can't stop themselves from going to, much like the dragon dreams, they can't stop their dragon dreams. They can't stop being obsessed with Summerhall. They can't stop being obsessed with magic and prophecy. And it's sort of coming to their doom every time, um, which is very sad and heartbreaking if, um, for what it ends up meaning for the three Targaryens or the two and two Targaryens and maybe a fake one that are running around in the winds of winter. Oof. All right. So I think that's all I got on my dock. So let's open up everything to questions. I'll start grabbing them from the chat. Um, talk about this for a little bit longer. Um, glad I got to essentially monologue for two hours about Summer Hall. Went places I don't think anybody expected, but I think that's one of the really fascinating things about Summer Hall as a concept that George is using, that it really does touch so many elements. Um, that that seem at the core of emotional and physical, I mean, emotional and magical and prophetic um, decisions that the characters will make going forward. Somehow, it all has to do with Summer Hall. <clears throat> uh, Aaron M., uh, one of my patrons, she asks, is it possible Danny and Fagon could meet there? Um, it's very possible. Um, Egg has conquered the Stormlands, or at least some of them. Um, he has to go up to go to King's Landing from there, but it's very likely he will. He might want to go west a little bit to try and gain some allies in the Reach or maybe the Dornish. For instance, um, Arya Martell is there. So if they're going, an obvious place for the Dornish and the Aegon's armies to meet might be Summerhall. It um, it is specifically positioned as the meeting place between the three kingdoms, especially if the Tyrells end up um, supporting Aegon, like it looks like they might. Um, so there could be, there could definitely be a conflict or 
we may even see Summer Hall through Aryan's point of view. Um, if she decides to support him, which it looks like she will. Uh, she, what was it? Um, she only has to send back a word to Doran, and if she says the right way, then the Dornish armies will march. <clears throat> um, it would be very tragic if that's where Daenerys and comes across um, Aegon and ends up killing him. More Targaryen dragonfire, more deaths of Targaryens at the um, at Summerhall itself. Yeah, it, I, I don't think he's done with it. It's he's definitely not done with it. At Dunkin' Egg, Summerhall is men is name dropped in those three stories more than almost anything else. So we know that's where Egg goes. It will probably be there, probably in Fire and Blood Part 2 in some method, but I think we'll definitely see it on the page, either through um, Ariane or through Daenerys' POV. That it will be some kind of reckoning between her and the um, who most people think is Aegon Blackfire. <clears throat> uh, let's grab another one. Um, Floris the Fox says, Why do Wyla Manderley... And Wyla John's wet nurse have the same name. Um, that's one of those things I've always wondered about. Why is George using this name Wyla over and over again? Um, obviously, John has no contact with Wyla Manderley. Um, I've thought in the past that Wyla Manderley serves as almost this kind of person that John may have end up marrying um, in the future. Had none of this happened, if he was just if he had stayed at court and just been Jon Snow, um, a linking of the Stark bloodlines with the Manderleys would make sense. And actually, uh, before the War of the Five Kings, Wyla is fairly far down in the succession line for um, for um, what is it? For White Harbor, and they're they're extremely loyal to the Starks. Um, I think it would be. And she seems like sort of almost the exact kind of person that John would be interested in. Has the same kind of fiery personality, has the same kind of um, devotion that he seems to uh, seek out in the women he's attracted to. Uh, I think it may just be George playing with that idea that there's something about Wyla that um, relates to his heritage um but it's also interesting that Lila has like her her false hair she dyes it like sea green um so it sort of tells you in a way that the Wyla story if you think about it in this way is a falsehood Wyla does not actually have the seeing green hair but it's i don't know there's something in there i'm not really sure what but i gave it my best shot um, uh, Jen Snow says the Wilders are originally from Dorn. No, they're from uh, the Reach. The Manderleys are from the Mander River. They got dispossessed by the Peaks, I believe. I think um, Aziz on and uh, Ashay on History of Westeros did some uh, really good videos talking about the Manderleys, and they talked about where they may have come from and all that kind of stuff. Um, all right, let's scroll back up. <clears throat> Uh, Jay Moray asks, 
Could uh, Drunk Daron's death have been a cover-up like those in Fire and Blood? Perhaps he saw Summer Hall in Egg's Intentions. That's actually something I didn't touch on, but I think is very important to understanding the role of Summer Hall and the Targaryen um, prophecy magical sides is that Daron the Drunkard, he took Summer Hall. He was the crown prince. He didn't take Dragonstone. He took Summer Hall. So clearly... Um, you can interpret that as perhaps him being attracted to it, that he's seeing the summer hall in his dreams, that he's seeing the the future that is coming and wants to be around it. And I mean, we see in the in the hedge night he ends up running away from his dreams, but it seems like there's almost this fatalism to him that he knows he can never escape them. And it may just be like have like almost like this gravitational pull on his psyche that it's also interesting that it's at Summer Hall where Aemon served as Daron's personal maester. That's where they were. <laughs> they were at Summer Hall together for years at a time, basically on their own. And then Aemon comes out on the other side of this with this huge interest in magic, this huge interest in dragons and prophecy and seeing the future. I don't think it's a mis I don't think it's an I think oh let me say this another way. I think it's a massive oversight if you're not linking those facts together. That Daron and Aemon spending so much time together and Aemon's interests later in his life are almost certain to be linked. And it's probably due to this time at Summerhall. Um, it could have been a cover-up for his death. Um, it's I suspect that Daron probably did actually just die from I think he had um a venereal disease and he drank so much and maybe it was um i mean this would be kind of sad but if he like if he killed himself from his dreams that they do or driving him crazy then saying he drove he drove himself to drunk drunkenness might be um might be a story the targaryens would repeat to the maesters Uh, let me scroll up here. Um, <laughs> uh, Michael Gagliardi says, "Do you think Summer Hall? Do you think Blood Raven had anything to do with Summer Hall? It's. I think he had something to do with it. Um, his role. We see. We see him as the." Uh, the spy master, the the enemy of the Blackfires, the sort of a martial character, but we know his true side is this uh, connected to the children of the forest, connected to dragon dreams, connected to the high fantasy elements of the story, and that he left the Night's Watch seven years prior to Summer Hall, and we know he became the last Green Seer. It would be, I think. It would be, a, again, a massive oversight to not think that Ian somehow was influencing the events that came to Summer Hall. It would also add to his personal, um, his personal tragedy that if he was trying to steer Egg 
towards the dragons, trying to bring them back in order to fight the others, which he knows are coming. If it ended up uh, blowing up in his face, like literally with Summerhall, um, from his trying to naively using his powers, like we, we've heard him say uh, to Bran that he has tried to change the, the past, that he has tried to interfere using his powers and the idea that the the ink is dry that he's unable to do anything Aemon has a massive amount of guilt about um what happened to his family at Summerhall and happened to uh his family in Robert's Rebellion I would be surprised if um Bloodraven doesn't feel the same way basically that there's some part of him that knows that he had a hand and the downfall of Egg and the death of so many of the Targaryens, but maybe in a very Bloodraven way that he said that he thinks it's for the greater good. Like Bloodraven is very much a for the greater good kind of character. That um, he is willing to do almost anything, willing to sacrifice almost anyone, as long as it means that um, his goals are reached. That that was basically his his whole thing with the Blackfires. It's like there's nothing I won't do. Uh, oh, a super chat from Erin M, her traditional 1999. Thank you very much for the for the super chat. Um, she says, another stellar cast. Is seven dragons too many to hatch? Even if everyone survives and no one is sacrificed, Egg has six cards, three of whom are sons who won't listen. Is he courting another dance? Would aim and accept an egg? Okay, so a lot of questions here. Ugh, let's go through these one by one. Um... Okay, so is seven dragons too many to hatch at once? Um, I don't really know the rules on it. It's uh, George is particularly vague on how they hatch to begin with. Um, three scene is the max it seems to be at once with Danny, but um, it, it, I think that sort of tells you that kind of the hubris that underlines Egg's decision that he's trying to hatch seven dragons at once when nobody can hatch one. He's very confident it's going to work. And also, it's this is how serious he thinks it is that he needs seven. He needs the seven in order to solidify his relationship with the faith and have enough dragons to fight off the Blackfires and maybe the others. Like, this is how serious he is about this. He's gone off the rails. He wants seven instead of three. Um, <clears throat> Even if everyone survives and no one is sacrificed, Egg has three targ has six targs, three of whom are sons who won't listen. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you would think he would just want one, and or like maybe maybe like the three Daenerys has, where that's a small enough number where maybe you won't get factioning. Um, is he just courting another dance? Absolutely, that is the constant problem with uh, the Return of the Dragons. Is that Even if you give somebody else a dragon, at some point there ends up being conflicting um, ideas between you, conflicting claims or wants or needs. I mean, just because you have a dragon doesn't mean interpersonal conflicts don't have don't continue to happen. Maybe it would be enough for one generation. Maybe you could hold them together. But you hatch seven dragons. Some of those will also have eggs. You're going to have grandchildren, great grandchildren, much like we saw with the dance, where the numbers just exploded from the three that the, that the Aegon invaded with. Um, yeah, it's um, 
I think it's I think it really like the initial uh, comment I made. I think it shows his desperation that he is willing to to create seven dragon riders, dragons he does not even have enough people to ride that will almost assuredly kill some of the children like the like we saw from the wild dragons when you tried to claim them. But he does he needs them. He needs them now and he thinks he can do it. <clears throat> Would Aemon accept a dragon? Absolutely. Yes. No doubt in my mind. If he had the chance, Aemon would get on Dragonback. Um, thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you again for the great question and the super chat. Um, let's go up and grab some. Um, Michael saying, oh, wow, he said my name and didn't actually butcher it too much. Thanks. Wow, that's a first for me. I butcher every name. I'm very bad at pronouncing them. I'm glad I did okay at that one. Uh, Viserya says, so seven years he was becoming a tree? Yes. You have to assume that those seven years, so this would be at the beginning of his, of Blood Raven's integration into the Children of the Forest. So making mistakes you would expect this to be the time summer hall seems like a massive mistake <clears throat> um uh sir roland de stark do you think that rhaegar first got the idea of being a warrior as the prince that was promised from going to summer hall and talking to ghosts of high heart I am, well, it says, we're told in the text, I think Barristan says it, that Rhaegar found something in his scrolls, and then he walked out and declared he must become a warrior. Now, those scrolls are very interesting to me. Um, that was part of my aim in the Dreamer thing, where I suggested that um, the scrolls he may have found may have been, like, logs of Aemon's research, or his, or logs of Daron's dreams made by Aemon. Um, when they were together at Summer Hall, that if Daron is essentially just spitting out prophetic dreams all the time, it would behoove someone like Aemon, who knows about Danes the Dreamer and her book, uh, the book of her dreams, maybe to make a new one when it becomes obvious that Daron is not making these up, that he's right somehow. So writing them down would make sense. Um, if Rhaegar found them and read them and saw they were Aemon's, that would also inform why he contacted him it's like well who would you ask about um something aemon wrote well aemon's alive send him a raven ask him about him and start the conversation um there's also a possibility he found scrolls that aries the first were reading that we're talking about the return of dragons um but i do think that at some point i don't know when in his life but Rhaegar seems to have been doing it pretty regularly that he was going to Summer Hall on his own. Um, but it's, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, I would be interested if that was his first introduction and that it was from meeting the ghost of Highheart and her prodding him about his destiny in Summer Hall that, that Rhaegar started getting interested and then led to all these other things. That would be kind of a children of the forest way of dropping a rock in a pond and seeing the ripples go out. Like like um Helen Reed ending up getting beat up by three squires leading to Liana and Rhaegar meeting. Um or 
uh, Jenny of Old Stones meeting, meeting Duncan the Small and that leading to Summer Hall. It could be a similar kind of idea. Some, this little small event at the right moment, just a little prod and history changes. Ernie, you fell asleep? Is this not interesting? What are you doing? I guess I gotta make it a little more exciting for Bernie. Start doing like dances and stuff. That's me dancing, by the way. I'm extremely white. <laughs> um, here. Uh, Carl Carsnack says maybe he was just hedging his bets and bringing more than enough in case if he didn't hatch properly. Sure. Um, if you th if you think you got the formula, why not just try a whole, whole bunch of times? It's like um, I don't know if you guys have been following me on Instagram, but I've been um, <laughs> I've been uh, growing seeds, and oftentimes when you're planting seeds to be grown, unless they're particularly big, you put two or three in the same in the same like growing pot, and then you just take out the ones that aren't working. So maybe something like that. I can't believe I brought my gardening hobby into a stream about the tragedy at Summerhall, but I did it. I'm here. I pulled it off. Well done, me. Um, <clears throat> uh, Sleeko Duck says, since Bloodraven hates the Blackfires so much, how did he allow Aegon Blackfire to happen? Good question. <laughs> um, I'd... It may be that he has taken a longer view, that he has stopped thinking about things in terms of individual claimants or the Iron Throne, and he has started going for um, some kind of larger ideas, that he has started tuning into... Um, I'm going to make this reference, that maybe it's like Avatar The Last Airbender, where he has gone from being just a member of one of the tribes, and he has gone to having the the idea like the avatar has where you're protecting the entire world all the people not just yourself anymore not just your kin not just who you are that's one of the big journeys that happens with a lot of these mystical characters is that they have to in order to get to the point where they're actually trying to protect the world they sort of have to let go of the things their personal attachments <clears throat> Uh, yeah, a little less fun and exciting than, um, my Crusader Kings true stream, I guess. Um, remember, Tuesday, 7 o'clock p.m., I'll be doing another Crusader Kings true stream, so apparently a lot of people enjoyed that and just how ridiculous it got, so we'll be doing that. Um... Uh, Barrel Rider asks, do you think Eamon knew about something, do you think Eamon knew something about Bloodraven north of the wall? Can you imagine some sort of conversations in the wall? Or Eamon knew about the coming of John in the future to uh, Bloodraven? They definitely knew each other. They were at the wall at the same time for many years. Um, I can imagine that Eamon and Bloodraven had maybe a furious argument when Bloodraven was planning to abandon the watch and go find the children. Um, they may have buried 
themselves in the library trying to read about this stuff. And but I, I do think that Summerhall and Blood Raven leaving and the the fall of Ares and his family um turned Amon totally off from the magical side. That he that, that part of his brain he just let go because there's too much pain associated with it. But as you can see throughout A Feast for Crows and A Storm of Swords and Dance with Dragons, Aemon, as the magic is coming back in the world, as he hears about Daenerys, as um, all the stuff is coming up, the others are showing back up, his interest is being reignited. Whereas previously he, um, I think he just let it go for decades, that he didn't, he, he just didn't want to hear, he didn't want to see, he just wanted to live out the rest of his life on the wall. Probably just going to go for like five, ten more minutes. Voice is starting to go. Um, any last um, last minute questions or anything like that? Throw them out there. Um, see if we can make me speed round some of them out. Yeah, I can't dance. Um, uh, Jay, dead, redhead, matter you watering in the blood. No, just water. Sad. Although I did put crushed bone and blood meal into the garden outside into the bed. And we'll see how that goes. It all just jumped on me. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you guys sad about Eamon again. I'm sad about Eamon all the time, so I'm dragging you down with me. <laughs> Magic man, you're so effing exciting. I know, man. I live the exciting life. Uh, do I smoke weed or hashish? Uh, I don't anymore. I did for a little bit. Uh, for like um, three, four years, but I don't know. Just um, I didn't. I stopped enjoying it, so I stopped doing it. Um, guilty Undertaker. Who's in the perfect position to find out about Aemon and Bloodraven? Bran. Yeah, very true. Um, Bran's reaction to Summerhall and seeing what Bloodraven did in his life is a critical um, juncture in his story that's yet to come where he has not explored who the last green seer he knows is. He has not seen his history. When he sees all the things that Bloodraven did, all the horrific crimes he committed, um, he may very well think very differently about who's been training him. Uh, Robar Baratheon, the Robar Baratheon. Wow. Love your time traveling dream theory that echoes through the Targaryens or magic bloodlines anymore. Um, hmm. Not off the top of my head. Although I'm going to be doing something about the Doom of Illyria, um, which will include Danis the Dreamer. So uh, there will be stuff about that. Um, 
Barrel Rider, what do you think happened to Eamon's body? Well, he's been turned into rum. Apparently, he's been dumped into a rum bottle, so he'll just be the worst, the worst worm at the bottom of a bottle. Um... Zaysum Badgy, uh, will Dunk get buried in sand at Summerhall? Uh, yeah, that's that's another part of the theory um, about what's going to happen with Dunk at Summerhall that I didn't get into. If there is sand there from the Pyromancers, there's a, there's a weird um, repeating pattern in Dunkin' Egg where he thinks about sand and being buried in it. It would that may be how he dies. That um, that Dunk dies in the sand that is supposed to be being poured out to douse the wildfire which would be awful. Carl uh, Karsnark, how many Dunk descendants are there in the current timeline? Uh, so Brienne, um, probably Hodor. Um, I've thought about Small Paul, but that could be Lucamore. Um, I think it's possible that the Cleganes are related to Dunk. Um, a lot of the ideas that are wrapped up in Brienne's storyline are also echoed pretty heavily in Sandor Clegane's. So I don't know if that's just thematic or it's supposed to be real. Um, there's also a... Uh, wait, what's his name? There's a, there's a Weber still alive in the Golden Company. Uh, let me look this up. Uh, oh, yes. Weber, a sellsword with the wind blown, who is decorated with spire tattoos, is said to nurse a claim the lost lands in Westeros. It would be interesting if Rohan had a bastard child with Duncan the Tall that ended up a sellsword in Essos over time. Um, there's also a Duncan Strong, I believe, alive in. Um, in Essos, yeah, he's in the Golden Company, um, who has, well, the picture has red hair. I don't know how they determined that, but a Duncan Strong is still out there, and I think the Strongs are also Dunks, related to Dunk, so. Um, directly related to Dunk, um, if I had to guess, George would probably make it the same number as Lucamore, which is, I think, 13 kids, and Robert. Um, well, the Baratheons are definitely related, or well, me and Crowfoot's daughter definitely think they're related to, um, to Lucamore because some of Lucamore's bastards got sent to Storm's End. So there's probably something in there. How many kids did Lucamore have? Uh, 16 children. So I would, it would be good thematically if Dunk has 16 relatives or had 16 children too but maybe it's seven because george likes that number um oh robert has 16 yeah lucamore is 16 robert has 16. A guilty undertaker, do you think Aemon ever got an inkling? John is Rhaegar's son. It's a part of a tra I think uh, your second comment is part of a strategy. He never knew he had a Targaryen under his nose. I think that's I think that's exactly the tragedy of Aemon, that he wants to go help Daenerys, that 
he finally has a Targaryen he can help somebody he can tutor and he's been doing it all along but it's to John never knowing that it's um his role and his relation to him um oh there's some ice and fire con stream after this uh lady leaf underhill if anybody has the link to that drop in the chat um i didn't know they were going today um i don't think i didn't miss any super chats did i guess if i did um please tag me and let me know um how do you uh sir roland de stark asks, how do you think dunk's foot will come to play say the role i i talked about it earlier i think he holds open a door hold the door um, because I think Hodor is related to him, that he's going to hold the door open for Rayla and Ares as they escape the flames. And, and no, I think I got all of them. Oh, I can. Oh, thank you, YouTube dashboard. There's a little thing that shows me all the ones that have showed up I didn't know about. Okay, so I got all of them. Um. Morley, hey Morley, haven't seen you in a while. Uh, hi everyone, I wonder what will be Brienne's arc. Will she become a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms like on the show? I think that's definitely in the cards that Brienne will be the one to fulfill Dunk's um, destiny that, um, or his lifelong goal of becoming a real knight. Um, it's heavily implied Dunk became Lord Commander of the Kingsguard while never being a knight himself. I think Brienne will get both of those I think well she'll definitely become a knight. I don't know if she'll become Lord Commander of the King's Guard, maybe a Queen's Guard or something. But I think um I think George probably has has taken Brienne to her lowest point where we saw her last. And from here it might just be up for her in terms of done being punished. Well, I hope so anyway. <clears throat> maybe Jamie will um knight Brienne after Whatever happens with Lady Stoneheart, that would be awesome. Um, K2 Cav couldn't dunk be a strong. He is a strong. I definitely think he is. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Dunk's a strong. He's related to Luca Moore the Lusty somehow. Um. That's um let me grab the video link for you. If you guys haven't seen it, the um let's see here. Oh, here we go. How strong Dirt after centuries. Oh god, I can hear my own voice. I don't like that. How strong the lost starks of the Riverlands. Um Oh wait. Don't use that link. That has a timestamp on it. Hang on. That goes right to the end because I was listening to the end of it because I am a narcissist. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My mug is a um, that theory made into real life. Hang on, I'll show you the bottom. I have to finish drinking it. So we got Dunk on one side, Tarth on the other for Brienne, and underneath the seed is strong. Dunk 
and Brienne are strongs and don't even know it. Oh, uh, wow, Morley, thank you. It's a very generous super chat, uh, $50. Thank you for all the great content on your channel. You're the best. Bless you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's um, Dunk is definitely a strong. I think the Duncan's strong in the Golden Company is super interesting. George just loves playing with this. There's, I mean, there's Weber and the Windblown, who very much seems like he could be a child of Duncan, Lady Rohane, or some sort of um, a, a relative of them. Duncan Strong is like on the nose. It's serving, and then there's also um, uh, Roly Duckfield, I think is named. Hang on a second. I don't think a lot of people was together, but um, Aegon the Sixth is essentially doing a Aegon the Unlikely speedrun, and he even has his own Hedge Knight turn knight as um, his tutor and teaching him the fight known as Rolly Duckfield. Duckfield, he's Duck and Dunk. They're one to one. They sort of have similar characters, even as a shock of orange hair, a brawny man with a shaggy beard. He could be somebody that's related to Duncan, Lady Rohan. Yeah, I don't understand what's going on with the forty-nine, with the point ninety-nine, Aaron. God help me, I don't understand YouTube these days. Carl um, <laughs> Snarks, thanks to Morley Mackinac, fill his giant quarantine-sized mug. You know what? That's gonna buy me a lot of ginger ale. Let me tell you, that's what I just did. I just chucked a lot of ginger ale. It's my favorite drink. Um. Oh, um, can't post the links to the stream. If anybody else has them, any of the mods, if you guys are listening, uh, grab the Ice and Fire Con links and drop them in there. I'm just going to be uh, just a couple more minutes and then going to finish. Um, Isabel Harper, phone's about to die. Peace out, you all. See you, Isabel. Thanks for coming. Um, good questions. Sorry I drained your phone. Um, last call. Last call. This is it. <laughs> I'm getting out of here because I have to go. I have gardening to do and theories to write and videos to make. Just I swear to God, just ginger ale today. No whiskey in it, just ginger ale. Uh, okay, last one here from Barrel Rider. Uh, do you think we'll see through Duncan's eyes the travel to the travel to the wall with Aemon and Bloodraven or something happening at the wall at that moment? I would love to see that in Duncan Egg if we see the journey on the Golden Dragon with Bloodraven and Aemon to the wall and then Dunk coming back. Like, especially if that means, well, Duncan Egg do go to Winterfell at some point. That's going to be the She Wolves of Winterfell. If Dunk goes back and maybe sees his child up there, that would be amazing. Um, I don't think we're going to get to that point. I don't think, I mean, George is struggling with the winds of winter and the dream of spring, and he's and he's said that he's not going to finish Duncan Egg, the whole series until he finishes those two books. So, if we ever get him, I would absolutely love it. Seeing Blood Raven and Aemon interact would be a dream come true. Yep. All right. So that's it for everybody. Thanks again for coming. Uh, we got up to I think 170, 180 people. Um, remember Tuesday Crusader Kings two stream. Edric Dane, the seducer of Damon Blackfire, um, and the 
trying to be the friend of Duncan the Tall returns uh, as the Danes try and conquer Dorne. Um, next Saturday, same time, do another quarantine stream. Don't know the topic yet. I'll figure it out during the week. Um, thanks, everybody, for coming. Go to the Ice and Fire Con streams that are going on. They're doing um, basically a virtual con, since obviously we can't go to it, unfortunately. Uh, go check them out. Say hi to everybody. Um, I'm sure you all see a lot of each other there. So thanks. Have a good afternoon. And um, stay safe out there. Stay quarantined. I'll see you later.